Hey everyone, welcome back or welcome to an all new episode of the 20% podcast. This is the show where we bring you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. I'm your host, Tyler Meckes. This week's guest is the number five most listened to episode of the 20% podcast featuring my wife, Dana Meckes. During this conversation, we went into a really deep conversation talking about um, going through miscarriage, navigating fertility issues, how Dana became a stay-at-home mother, the skills that she had taken from being a stay-at-home mother and, and brought them back into the workforce, and so much more. Please enjoy the number five most listened to episode with Dana Meckes. All right, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the 20% Podcast. And stop laughing at me here. <laughs> this is a super exciting episode because this is episode 100. And I couldn't think of a better guest to bring on than my wife, the mother of my children, and the love of my life, and the Chief Meckes Resident Officer, Dana Meckes. Dana, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I am so excited, and um, I'm, a little ner- I'm a little bit more nervous than I typically am for some of these interviews, which is interesting. But what we're going to do is, you know, we are going to share, we're going to go deep here. We're going to go personal. We're going to go through your career like we do in every single episode, and being the avid listener that you are, we will, <laughs> we will go through um, your career background, and then we'll get into some of the infertility and some of, of what it's like to be a stay-at-home mother. So early childhood, your parents were both entrepreneurs. So for anybody who uh, listened to episode number one, Drew was on there and he told everybody a little bit more about what your parents did. Your dad was a chiropractor and your mom did some interior design work. So let's just start off by early childhood. What did they teach you about business or just some big career lessons and life lessons as well as a child? Well, from the day that I said I wanted a car, they said I could have it as long as I paid for it. So I worked all through high school, um, through college. It was just something that they always instilled was that if I wanted something, I had to work for it. So I always had a job, no matter what it was doing, and I got my car. Perfect. So obviously, 16 years old, that's the time when you're trying to get a car and trying to get your permit. I know you worked a number of jobs when you were growing up. So it just could you just explain a little bit about the, the wide variety of jobs that you've had? Because obviously, you know um, how much all, I'm all about the transferability of skills. So what were some of those early jobs like? And, and let everybody know that as well. Um, well, I started out babysitting. And from there, I worked in retail, restaurants, car washes. Um, I really... I did whatever I could to make some money and make friends through high school. And so just from some of those jobs, is there any skills that you learned over time that you thought maybe I wasn't going to use later on in your life, but ultimately like any core um, main things that you learned that you transferred into your roles in HR and even as a stay-at-home mother today? Um, I mean, everything, obviously babysitting, of course, working with kids, um, multitasking, any job that you have restaurants that was a lot working with customers all different types of personalities which is huge in human resources um and and with kids as well trying to deal with the personalities and then through college I worked in a daycare so obviously so obviously there's been kids have been a big portion of that of your early life and obviously as a parent now like where did did you always know that you wanted to have kids or when did that initially start for you Oh yeah. Always. Always. Like how how young? I mean, from when I can remember. 
I started babysitting when I was probably 12. I always knew I loved kids. That's, that's amazing. I'm pretty sure when we started dating, I talked about kids right away. Yes, she did talk about kids very early on in our career and, and it, uh, or in our relationship, I should say. But obviously that aligns really well. And that's really important, obviously, as a part of our relationship. We understood that we do want to have kids at some point. And, you know, thank the Lord, we have two amazing children right now that we'll get into a little bit later. So, all right. So you're working all these jobs. You're paying, you're learned how to be um, sustainable early on by yourself. Now it's time to go to college. Now you obviously went, uh, Dana went to three different colleges as she'll explain. She found me at the third one. So we, we obviously, it's really interesting how we, we ultimately ended up together, but three <laughs> colleges, right? What did you want to do? What, like first you went to East Stroudsburg, right? Mm-hmm. What, what did you want to do with your life? So I started at East Stroudsburg um, as a speech pathology major and I was doing well with that, but I realized into it, it just wasn't interesting to me anymore. So I spent a semester there and then I decided I wanted to be a PA and I got accepted into King's College Accelerated PA program, which was amazing. So I took a semester off actually, because I had to do shadowing hours a lot, hundreds of shadowing hours. So I started, I took a semester off to take away at those. And I wasn't able to start at King's until the fall. So I did that. And it took a semester of that to realize I hated science (laughs) and a lot of money later, a lot of college debt from that. Um, And then I wound up at Bloom doing um, sign language interpreting. And then (laughs) way through that, um, I realized I loved the skill of sign language, but I didn't want to make a career out of it. So I kept going with the classes, but after putting a lot of thought and talking to my parents, my brother, who's very business savvy. um, Shout out to Drew Collins. (laughs) um, I decided to go into business. I thought it was more generalized and I could go, you know, through that. Um, And then in, while I was in my business classes, I had to take a human resource class and I had the best HR professor and he's the one that made me want to go into human resources and study that further. Okay. So before we, we jump into the human resources side of things, what lessons or what advice do you have for somebody who's going through uh, maybe a, a, trying to figure out what they want to do with their career or maybe has switched to college or two or even three? <laughs> what lesson do you have for them from your experience? Because that's, um, that could be a lot. I'm sure it was overwhelming at the time as well. Yeah. Um, Drew used to tell me I could write a book on for people to know what all the colleges were like in the, in the state. <laughs> so Sounds like uh, we're, we're working on that. But. Yeah. Um, I think at 18, it's hard to um, really know what you want to do at 24 because your life changes drastically in between that time. Um, so I would suggest, I hope for my own kids that maybe they don't go to college right away. Um, maybe try to like shadow people, really learn what they want to do. Um, because my mind changed a million times, which is normal for someone at that age going through crazy changes. Um, but, or going into college, um, in a more generalized subject or major, um, and then as you take those classes and see your professors and maybe you connect differently with different things. 
That's amazing. So let's let's jump into HR a little bit as well. I know that um, that's about the time when we found each other, right? <laughs> tell everybody a little bit more. Okay, so I, I need to jump in and tell this part of the story. So one of my college roommates who I met actually went to the same high school as her. And by happenstance, we met each other. Now, um, there was uh, a time where we got invited by uh, a couple of women to come over and have a wine night. So of course, you know, we're sophomores in college and of course we're gonna go have wine. And then there, I just see this beautiful woman who we, you know, we, we hit it off, right? Was it, it wasn't love at first sight though, was it? Definitely not. I was making pancakes. So you might've been in love with me. <laughs> okay, so maybe this, maybe this is the foundation of our, and it's coming full circle right now as well. Cause we, we just took our son out to, um, to go get some pancakes this morning for breakfast. So um, maybe there's a common thread of pancakes in our relationship. So um, <laughs> anyway, so, so this woman is making pancakes and maybe, I think that's maybe where I started. I, I realized that you were the love of my life at that point. Um, tell everybody about the story from your perspective. Um, I don't remember crazy details about the night we met. I just remember I was making funfetti pancakes and feeding all of the guys in the apartment. Um, but Tyler was the young, immature <laughs> guy at that point. Um, so I've matured much my, more since then, right? Some days. Okay. <laughs> um, and I just wasn't interested at that time. We talked a little bit um, texted, but, um, that wasn't the right time for us. And then, uh, your senior year, that's when we reconnected. And I think we were at a different time in our lives and I'm happy that that's when we met because I don't think our relationship would have panned out the way it has if we started dating so much younger. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's a valuable lesson for everybody is if you see the love of your life, don't give up on them. It takes time and, and things will work out the way they need to. So, okay. So we, we had the, we had the pancake night two years later, we reconnect, we start dating. And then I ask you out where, where did I ask you out? A rooftop. And I will say that, um, from the net, even from sophomore night when I wasn't interested to senior year on the first night we went out, I knew I was going to marry you. And what did you do? And, I, and what happened as well? Because I think there was a, a message that you sent to your mom, maybe. <laughs> he loves this story. Um, I texted my mom the first night we went out and I said, I'm going to marry him. And what was it? What was it about me or that night that made you <laughs> that you thought that? Was it just my wits and my charm and my <laughs> yeah. stunning looks? What was it? Um, your personality. Oh, so it wasn't the looks. <laughs> it was the looks. Um, looks, personality. Um, you've always made me laugh. Now, still, dad jokes. Um, Plenty of dad jokes. But yeah, I think we just connected. We were friends. I would say we were friends first, which was a nice foundation. Absolutely. I love that. So, all right. So we start dating and then... I graduated with my bachelor's degree in exercise science and you still had one more year to go. So I went back to school and got my master's degree. And then we moved in with each other a minute later, maybe, right? <laughs> yes. so, so tell us, tell everybody about the first place that we had together. Um, it was still a college apartment because um, we still lived technically on campus. Um, and it was, you literally could 
lay in bed, be in the kitchen, the living room all at once. Um, it was very tiny, but we thought at the time that it was a castle because we were used to, you know, just having, sharing an apartment with multiple people. So you just have your one room as your space, but then moving in to our own little apartment and all of that space just being ours um, at the time felt like the Taj Mahal. It, it felt, I was literally going to say the Taj Mahal <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we were so, so excited. Looking back on it now, I mean, we're fortunate enough to, to recently have just bought a house and literally it was maybe just the size of one standard room, but we really thought that that was the world. So mm -hmm. at that time we were at a point where we were just eating tuna, right? And it's amazing to see where we came from there to where we are now. So, all right. So let's dive a little bit further. So we go on and we, we get married and then we would love to talk a little bit further about some of the, the fertility side of things now. Now we, um, you know, much like a lot of people that a lot of people don't talk necessarily about some of the struggles that they have with fertility or um, infertility or even, um, you know, losing, losing a child, right? So um, we were fortunate enough to get pregnant on our honeymoon, right? We brought home a souvenir <laughs> and then tell, take the story from there. Um, so we knew that we wanted to start a family right away. Um, obviously we got pregnant on our honeymoon. Um, and I found out really early on and we had, we were so excited that we told family right away. Um, you know, you were there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was there. I was part of this process. Um, so we had told everyone closest to us. Um, and then when I was six weeks, I was having a lot of pain. Um, so we went to the hospital and I just, I could clear as they remember um, them wheeling me to an ultrasound to see what was going on. And they, the nurse and the um, person transferring me were whispering and said, like, I don't even need the ultrasound. And I remember my heart sinking. We were looking at each other. Yeah, like, I remember oh, looking no, at like, you. That's you not. You just have that gut feeling of like, something isn't right here, right? Yeah, so they turned me around and built me back. And then they told me that I was no longer pregnant. And it was really heartbreaking. And tell, tell us a little bit more about what that pain felt like ultimately and how you got through it. Because it was, you know, for anybody who has ever gone through that, it's excruciating pain, right? Um, for her, physically, um, psychologically, for us, for our entire family. But fortunately, we had such a great system around us to help through. Tell us a little bit more about your emotions through that time and ultimately how you got through that. Um, emotionally, it's depressing. It's really, really sad when you, especially when you're, your high is so high, like expecting to have a baby, and then that low is the worst. Um, and physically, anyone that's gone through it, it's extremely painful. Um, so my body had to work that stuff out and it was, it was a very painful process. Um, I just remember being at work just like rolling because my stomach hurt so bad. And you're going through this emotion that's so hard, but then you have to go for the physical pain of it that reminds you every second of what you are. So it was really hard. And because it was the very first pregnancy, I think made it really extremely hard because I had never had a successful pregnancy at that point. So I didn't, then when I got pregnant again, it was, I didn't know what to expect. Right. Right. And fortunately it was just what one month later that we were fortunate enough to get pregnant again. So that was, I mean, through a fertility doctor. 
Right. And I almost forgot about that. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more uh, about that experience as well. And ultimately what we had to do in order to have, well, now that we know Grayson. Yeah. Um, so after I had the miscarriage, um, I went to a fertility doctor just to make sure nothing crazy happened. I know it happens all the time, but because it again was my first, I wasn't sure. And I'm so, sure from a psychological standpoint, I needed the reassurance. Right. Um, so they ran a bunch of tests and ultrasounds and, um, at that point, they didn't put me on crazy meds. They just said, you know, it happens to so many people. Um, just like regular, normal medication to get my levels normal. And then, um, then we tried, and the next month we were pregnant again. And tell everybody a little bit more about the psychological pain that you had to go through or, or some of the hurdles that you had while you're... So, okay, you, you lost the first child. Then the next one, you're like, okay, we're pregnant, but we're still very nervous, right? Because of what happened before. How did you handle that psychological pain as we went through the, obviously the early stages of the pregnancy and then later on as well? Um, it was really hard and um, a very anxious time as you know, it's every pain you feel then is like, oh gosh, um, <laughs> is that is there something wrong? Is this a normal? I never knew. I never knew. Is this a normal thing because of what I went through? So every single thing I felt, I was always questioning if that was normal or not. Um, so it was, it definitely caused me a lot more anxiety through my entire pregnancy um, until, you know, every ultrasound I got, every blood test, I would literally wait for the doctor's call to tell me everything was all right, make sure my numbers were increasing. They were the way they were supposed to. Um, so definitely it caused a lot more anxiety. And, and you handled that like an absolute champ. It was not easy whatsoever as everybody could imagine. Now, how did it feel the first time that you held Grayson in your hands, knowing that you had gone through all of that pain previously and even with the pregnancy as well? The best feeling ever. Um, going through all of that and then having a healthy baby in my arms. I mean, made every single thing I went through worth it. If I didn't go through what I went through, I wouldn't have had Grayson. So. Yeah. And yeah, now it's, it's, he's literally the biggest blessing. And one of the biggest things that we talk about it now as well is if we hadn't gone through that really tough situation, then we wouldn't have had Grayson. Right. So let's just fast forward, obviously, you know, well, let's talk about Grayson a little bit further. What is the biggest piece of parenting advice for a first child. Hey, you have this new child, we brought him home and we were like, okay, now, now what do we do, right? What's your, looking back, what was the best piece of parenting advice for a first, um, for a first child? If, if somebody out there obviously wants kids in the future or just had their first child, what advice do you have for them? Um, I'd say there's no right way to parent. Every child is different. Every parent is different. Um, you know, we are from how you grow up, you have different views on how you want to parent. So it takes a lot of teamwork trying to figure out how you're going to raise then your, your own children. Um, but you just need to like stay relaxed and do what you think is best because whatever you feel is best, that's the best thing for your child. And you have to remember that as well. When, when you become a parent, most people are going to try to give you advice or, or position the way that you should, but you really have to understand what we've learned is that everybody is different. And to your point, we need to, the best piece of advice. And I completely agree with that is 
make sure that you're doing whatever you need to be doing, what you feel is right, what's most important to you and how you want to raise your child. Um, so, and also, could you remind me the date that he was born as well? Like what year? 2020. Okay, 2020, January of 2020. So everybody knows about the COVID pandemic, right? I think <laughs> yeah. at this point, yeah. you probably should know about it. So tell us about, you know, obviously that first year of the of the pandemic, even the first couple of months is it's so stressful. And we have this brand new child that's three months old and this global pandemic's happening. Fortunately, you were on leave a little bit longer, but then you had to go back to work. Mm -hmm. During the pandemic, having a small child, we were both working from home. What was that like? Um, the pandemic and becoming a mom at the same time was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. Um, your life changes so much already becoming a parent and then through a pandemic that we've obviously never experienced before, um, was life-changing. It was, it was insane. Um, and then of course going, you know, having to start working through it and not having help at that point. Cause you know, we were in lockdown and weren't sure who we could be around or anything like that. So we didn't have help with him while we were working at that point. And everything was so uncertain at that point of, yeah, could we, you know, what are we going to do, yeah. right? Tell everybody about the setup that we had <laughs> in our house. Now, to, just to set the picture, we're, we're out of the little Taj Mahal that we had in Bloomsburg. <laughs> yeah. um, and we, since then, upgraded from one location to the next, renting a two-bedroom place. Tell everybody about the dining room table or lack thereof <laughs> dining room table and how we had to set up this house to help us parent having a child while also working two full-time jobs. Um. So we had to make the corner of our bedroom, Tyler's office. And then I needed an office where I could watch Grayson at the same time as working. So I had to put a desk by the stairs and then we sold our dining room table. We moved our couch and gated the entire living room so that I knew if I had to turn around to work for a second, I knew Grayson was completely safe in his own little play area. Um, so we literally just turned our whole downstairs into a playroom at that point. And again, that's just the, the parenting, like what <laughs> doing whatever you need to do to make, to make the best out of, out of that situation. Now, looking back on it now, you know, now we have a second child and we'll, we'll get into um, the lead up to that too. But what advice do you have about parenting that you learned from that time that will help you later on in your career and life as well? that um you can do it all like it it's hard and um you have to change some circumstances to be able to do it but you do what you got to do to get it done and yeah. we did it we worked full time and took care of our son and not only research <laughs> and and that was at the time when i was i never thought that i was going to be able to work remotely and that was actually when i was um at the, the middle of my first sales job and that we, we've not only survived, but we thrived through that. So looking back on that time, I think is really interesting for the both of us because we had these unbelievable circumstances and we overcame them. Next, we want to talk about, you know, we have a child and we're going through, um, it was through a whole nother year, pretty much at that house in that situation. We got through it, we crushed it. And then we were, we went and 
we're finding a house at the same time as trying to have another child. Can you tell everybody about the struggles that we had um, in trying to have our daughter? Because there, there was a very long road of a, I don't want to say long road relative to what some other folks have to go through, but tell us a little bit more about some of the struggles that we had with getting pregnant. Um, so once Grayson turned a year is when we said, okay, maybe we'll start trying. Don't know how long it'll take. Um, again, the first time we tried, I got a positive pregnancy test. And then the day after I checked again and the two lines started to fade and everyone who, anyone who's been through it knows that those lines are not supposed to fade. They're supposed to get darker as you get more pregnant. Um, so I had, that happened, um, a few months that once I started going back to the fertility doctor, um, a few months of trying it, they were chemical pregnancies. So basically they don't consider them miscarriages because they, um, that you miscarry so early. Uh, so they're called chemical pregnancies. Um, so I had a couple of those and, um, we found out that there was some kind of issue with my hormones. So we had, I had to go on um, a special medication and then a month of being on that. then we finally got pregnant with Lacey. And tell us a little bit more about what the, how taxing those months were from a psychological perspective, because you're trying, you, you have the chemical pregnancy and then we're like, oh, well maybe next month. And then next month comes and then it yeah. doesn't happen again. And then we try a number of months. I think it was five or six months at that point until you did get that positive mm -hmm. test. Could you tell everybody about what that did to, to the psychology? Yeah, it's, um, it's really hard because you never think a month can feel so long until you're tracking every single thing. Um, and so it's like every single day feels like a lifetime waiting for that time of the month you're waiting for to see a test. And, um, it was really hard. And then, um, being on medication on top of it, you know, just different things you're not used to. Um, it was, it was really difficult. And tell it and tell everybody as well throughout the course of that pregnancy and with Grayson as well, you were also, you had gestational diabetes besides everything else that was going on. And obviously second pregnancy, we're, we're still having to deal with some of the restrictions around COVID. Tell everybody about um, how you, what you had to go through um, with the gestational diabetes and how much of an extra hurdle that was on top of just the regular pregnancy as well. That was horrible. Um, it was horrible. With Grayson, it was managed pretty easily. So it didn't affect my pregnancy too much. With Lacey, um, I had to take insulin, which was crazy. So Tyler had to put a shot in my arm every single night um, and nothing I could do could change it. It was a hormone thing and um, nothing I was eating or anything was gonna change that. So it was hard that that was kind of out of my control. Um, I had uh, sometimes three doctor's appointments a week, definitely always two, sometimes three monitoring the baby closely. Um, and you know, this causes obstacles with work too. I had to miss so much work and thankfully my work was really flexible and, uh, knew what I was going through. So I had, you know, to take time off there and, you know, you're going missing work. And then I had to catch up when I got back and it, it was, it was a lot, um, with just everything going on. And I think this is a big lesson as well, because you did have a, a really great employer with that. And the situation caused Dana to have to explain some of those situations, yeah. but a lot of people 
may not be as comfortable or may not be in a spot where they could be upfront and honest about that. What would you say to uh, employers to try to, or, or maybe even employees who may be in a similar situation about trying to approach their boss specifically? And then ultimately, what do you think that your employer, you know, based on your experience or, or what you think um, could have been done on that level to be more forgiving or to help with some of those um, employees who may be going through that? Um, it's hard as the person going through it. You don't really feel like talking about it to everybody and especially, you know, people at work, that's a very personal thing for them to know, but you also, at the same time, you, for me, I didn't want them to think I was just taking off all the time or whatever. So from very early on for me, I thought it was just to be honest, even though I wasn't ready to share that we were trying to have a baby and it just wasn't working yet. Um, I told them very early on that I just wanted to know I was trying to get pregnant, but it was not working. Um, so I was having to go to a lot of doctor's appointments or a lot of ultrasounds and testing. And um, then they were very understanding of that. And basically told me to do whatever you need to do. Um, you know, from my perspective, it worked to be open and honest. Not everyone is going to be comfortable doing that or some employers might not be as flexible, um, but I just feel like that transparency is the best way to go with the situation. Um, and hopefully you have a, a good employer that understands and will be sympathetic. Yeah. It's and important. that's, and that always, that doesn't always happen. So yeah. you were very fortunate that you were in that position. So, all right. So we had, all, we had those struggles going through and then you have Lacey, right? This beautiful little girl. Now we have the rich man's family, right? Little boy, little girl. And then um, just fast forwarding a little bit forward to making the decision of to work or not to work. That's the question. <laughs> so <Such a dork. laughs> I know she, and she has to live with this all the time. Before we jump into that, how annoying am I with um, talking? Oh, <laughs> I thought that was a general question. Could I finish the question? Sure. Okay. So <laughs> no, that wasn't the end of the question. Okay. Everybody knows on the podcast that who's listening that I'm all about the transferability of skills and that I love sales, love the sales profession. How annoying am I about that in day-to-day -day life, whether it's talking about transferability of skills or talking about sales or trying to tie things back to sales? What does that look like? Uh, yeah, you guys, this isn't just his podcast thing. It is every day. Um, we'll sit at dinner with our kids and try to talk to our son about his day. And I'm like, Tyler, he's two and a half. So I'm grilling him about like, stop. It's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, these questions all the time, I'll like complain about something and be like, well, how does that transfer to what you're trying to do? Or I just have to walk away because it's a lot. <laughs> Can you tell everybody how you really feel about this? <laughs> okay. All right. So, so on a more serious note, Let's go back to uh, the decision around working versus not working. Obviously, this was a really tough decision for us to make. What went into that decision? Um, so now we have two kids, um, a lot of help from um, my parents and, you know, the grandparents are very helpful. Um, but ultimately, I wanted to be to the one to raise my children um, if we had the capacity to do that. I wanted to, to, to do that. Um, 
So, you know, it took a lot of figuring out and working through it. Um, but, you know, it was a hard decision because I've worked forever and, you know, you build, I worked really hard. I, I was at my company for three and a half years, which is a long time. And that's a generation. lifetime in this age and age, this day and age. So I was there for a long time and I really, you know, built my position up and it, it felt good. I was like at that point with my position that like I could do what I was doing in my sleep. I knew exactly what I was doing and I was good at it. Um, but uh, nothing compared to, you know, being at home with my kids. So I didn't want the extra stress of, um, you know, trying to figure out work on top of that. I just, I wanted to focus on the kids. Yeah. And, and you were doing an unbelievable job at that. Now let's talk about how that's how just being a stay at home mother now is for you. And I would argue I want to give a big shout out to all of the stay-at-home mothers out there because unless you're really going through it, you have no clue about how much work that is. And really, it's a full. It's it's probably it's two full-time jobs at the same time. Um, and some days it's like, oh great, I get to go down and work so that I could, yeah. so that you know, taking a break from watching the kids sometimes. So, but you, but stay-at-home mothers don't get that break. No, and I think there's a stigma too to stay-at-home moms that you know like oh, they don't work or their lives must be so easy that they just, you know, they're at home and it's so different. It, you know, there's no easier way. Work is hard and taking care of your children is hard. They're just different types of difficulties, but there is something to be said for stay-at-home moms because it's, it's not, your job literally never ends. It's just, you know, constant. So you're needed always. Yeah. And, and now, now your current role is the chief Meccas, what is it? What is your role now? Residence officer. Chief and Meccas residence officer. See, she does so much. She even manages what, <laughs> what the, what the title is here. So, all right. So tell everybody a little bit more about what a day in the life is as the chief Meccas residence officer. And truly this woman keeps this ship afloat, like nothing I've ever seen before. Tell everybody what a day in the life is like. Um, it's, it's a and lot. Th- and there was a side there as well. <laughs> if you heard that, I hope, it, I hope the mic picked that up. Um, it's a lot, you know, you are up at whatever time your kids wake up and, um, breastfeeding. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're a breastfeeding mother on top of everything, um, so you're up with the kids and it's, it's, especially with two is a game changer. It is crazy different because if Lacey needs to go down for a nap, but I have Grayson running around, I can't bring her up while he's downstairs. So I have to really manage my time to like, you know, play off of when Tyler will be up for a lunch break, or um, just takes a 15 minute walk break and he could take one of the kids so I can do what I need to do for the other child. So um, there's a lot of management around the day, um, you know, and then Tyler comes up after he's done working, we have dinner, getting dinner ready and, um, and the night is over. <laughs> it starts all over again. Yeah. And I, and I want to give a huge shout out to Dooley as well on this because like the flexibility in any company out there for any, for work who has working parents, I think it's really important and it's really appreciated from the employee level to have that flexibility. And I don't, employee's wife. Yes. And, <laughs> yes. And, and in this nine, like the, the day of the just typical nine to five, I think is, is incredibly tough for those situations. So I want to give a big shout out to Dooley for, for being so flexible and for all those other companies that are so flexible. 
Now, what is the, all the, although these days are super, super busy and super stressful, what keeps you going during those situations? Um, the, <laughs> yeah. Um, just the kids are the best there. I mean, there's hard times, but nothing compares to the good times. So, um, you know, the other day when it's crazy and they're not napping and one's waking up and the other's going to sleep and I just broke down in tears and it's so normal to have those moments. And then you cry, you cry, you cry. And then my son like wipes my tears away. And then I'm like, okay, I'm better now. So, um, it's, it's extremely hard, but the good outweighs the bad. Right. I don't even like to say the bad. It's just the more, the, the more frustrating days. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think it's really important and you're, you're hitting on it as well. I know I joked um, when, when picking this up, but you're really in tune to your why. And obviously our kids are our why, and that's what makes us work so hard. So anytime you see anything that I'm doing, anything that she does, it's all with that in mind. Why do you think it's so important that people need to be hyper-focused on their why? It's the only way you're going to succeed. Um, you need to have your motivation as to why you're going to do If you don't have the motivation and your goal, like what are you trying, who are you trying to succeed for? What are you trying to succeed for? Um, you're not going to accomplish it. Yep, that's a huge lesson for everybody. Now, let's dive in. Now, I don't want to forecast into the future of if and when you would ever want to work. Oh, they're going to say more kids. Oh, no, no, no. No, we're not talking more kids. I was like, no, 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 no. We're not talking more kids. Okay. No, that, that's TBD, right? But um, talking more about the potential of, hey, obviously, we're gung ho. We are focused on raising these children. But at some point in time, and please don't break down in tears, they're going to be going to school. And at that point, you'll, you'll get to the decision where whether you're going to go back to work or what you're going to do. When you start having some of those interviews again or using a network or whatever, once you start talking to people, what would you highlight from being a stay-at-home mother that will be transferable skills directly into your next role, whatever that may be? Um. Just the fact that, you know, every day, again, I, I basically am managing our household. <laughs> I am the one who makes the doctor's appointments and really keeps everything going, you know. Reminds me literally about <laughs> everything that needs to be done. Yeah, like you forget everything. So I have to, I'm basically his assistant. Um, I have to keep everything going. So I basically manage that. Um, again, different personalities, you know, with the kids, um, multitasking. I had to do a million and one different things at once. Um, so they're all just things that I'll be able to apply to a job. That's fantastic. Any, what's your best piece? Obviously you're a parent, right? I know I ask every <laughs> single person this question. What is your best piece of parenting advice, whether you have one kid or two kids or 10 kids? My biggest piece of parenting advice would probably be to be honest with your kids um, no matter how old that they are, I think it's important. Um, you know, if I'm ever sad, I always, I want to hide that from the kids, but also, I mean, they need to see true emotions and learn. I mean, Grayson is the most, most empathetic child. I mean, he really is. So, and I think that's, you know, a testament to how much love that we show them and that it's okay to show your emotions and 
cry or laugh or whatever you're feeling. Um, he knows how to make you feel better. He has that, like, I don't want to say that well-rounded personality and um, feelings in him that he just, that I hope we're doing a good job teaching them. So I would just say, be honest and just give them as much love as you possibly can, because that's, that's most important. No, absolutely. And they say kids are a mirror to what your parents are doing. So hopefully that showing emotion is what is ultimately a factor, which I can't think it wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. All right. I ask every single guest the final question. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the question is? It's something about the school subject. Yes. You, had to teach. So, <laughs> see, you, you are an avid listener, right? <laughs> if, you, if you were to teach a college 101 class based upon all of your previous life and work experience, what would you teach and why? Probably would teach... Empathy 101. Why? <laughs> Thank you for asking. That's a great question. Because I think having empathy is one of the most important um, traits that someone could have, especially now and in, in these times and this day and age. Um, putting yourself in someone else's shoes and being sensitive to what other people are going through. And um, I just think having that empathy to connect with other people is extremely important. No, and I think that that's needed in any day and age. And I think anybody could could, um, benefit from empathy. So Dana, thank you so much for taking some time to chat today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.